Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning, Crosspoint. Thank you for joining us this morning. A special welcome to those of you who are joining us from home here in the Worship Center or downstairs in Simpson Hall. Uh, A special welcome to those of you who are watching on a weekday because you're out camping somewhere beautiful. Welcome to you as well. Um, We are concluding our Life of David series today. And if you want to go deeper in the Word, you can find today's sermon notes, uh, a group study guide, or any of those materials at thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes. Now, David's story has been one about how God made a shepherd boy his anointed king of Israel. And so through David, he established his everlasting kingdom. And so what better way to conclude a series on the life of David than with the end? So today we're going to talk about David's last days. And so if you have your Bible or your smartphone, I'm going to get you guys to flip over to 1 Kings chapter 2. And so when we get there, you'll be able to follow along. Now, by this time, David was old and he was gray. And at the end, he was bound to his bed. His body was frail and weak. His words were faint and his breath was shallow. His head bounced with a faint little wobble. Even when his servants piled blankets on him, David shivered. They began to fear for the worst. What comfort could they offer to their dying king? So the king's servants sent for Abishag the Shunammite because it was customary to bring a young, beautiful virgin to a sick master, to share his bed and warm his bones to nurse him back to health, but it didn't work. The king hardly turned over in his bed in his old age. See, David here is nearing his end. But this, this was exactly what Adonijah was waiting for. Adonijah was David's oldest surviving son. And he believed that he had the rightful claim to David's throne, not Solomon. It was him. And so now David, you know, he wasn't really around much when Adonijah was growing up, but Adonijah was this confident, good-looking boy that had everything he ever wanted. And now he wanted David's throne. So as soon as Adonijah heard that his father was dying, he could hardly contain himself. He ran through the palace court saying, I will be king. Long live King Adonijah. See, Adonijah had been waiting his entire life for a moment like this, so he didn't waste any time. He rallied support from the commander, Joab. He found favor with the high priest, Abiathar, and he raised an army of foot soldiers and chariots. And Adonijah had formed the perfect political coup. He had the might of the military on one side and the influence of the tabernacle on the other side, and now it was time for what? Well, of course, it was time to throw a party. So Adonijah threw his very own coronation bash outside the city by this Enregal spring. 
the wine was flowing. There was succulent organic mutton and beef kebab to naan. And all his followers that were there, Joab, Abiathar, some of David's other sons, and the rest of the royal court, almost everyone was there. Almost. And so now, once Nathan, the prophet, got news about Adonijah's move for the throne, he acted. He went to Bathsheba, and together they agreed to approach their lord, the king David. And so Bathsheba went to David first. She knelt low beside his bed and told the king what Adonijah had done. She said, Adonijah has made himself king, and you don't even know it. Joab, Abiathar, the court, and all your other sons are with him, all except for Solomon. Now everyone's eyes are on you, David. She knew that if it were true, if Adonijah became king, he would kill her and David's son, Solomon. Suddenly, Nathan barged into David's room, and David jumped a little in his bed. Then Nathan confirmed Bathsheba's claim again. He said, my lord, the king Adonijah had, you know, he's made himself king, and he's feasting at Enrogel. They're shouting, long live King Adonijah. Is it true? Will King Adonijah be king after you, heir to your throne? And so at this point, old King David had had enough. And with this achy snarl and the creaking of his bones, he sat up in his bed. And David said to Nathan, call him Bathsheba to come back. In a moment, she was back at the door, and David solemnly promised this to her. David said, as God lives, the God who delivered me from every kind of trouble, I'll do exactly what I promised in God's name. The God of Israel, your son Solomon, I swear, will be king after me and take my place on the throne. And I'll make sure it happens this very day. And so David summoned his loyal servants, Nathan the prophet, Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the warrior. And he gave him these orders. He said, take Solomon and mount him on my mule and lead him in a royal procession from Gihon. And there Zadok and Nathan will anoint him king over Israel. And then blow the ram's horns and shout, long live King Solomon, as he enters the city and takes his place as ruler over both Israel and Judah. And David's loyal servants were jubilant. They, they declared, just as God has been with you, our king, may he also be with Solomon and make his rule even greater than yours, King David. And so they did as David asked, and Solomon was anointed king at Gihon. And they marched Solomon into the city behind a band of musicians. The crowd burst in song and celebration. It was so loud, it was as if the earth was going to split in two. And the noise in Jerusalem was so great that it disrupted Adonijah's feast. Adonijah looked out from his tent at Enrogel and wondered to himself, what is this noise in the city? And just then a messenger arrived at the camp. David had made Solomon king. There was a great silence in the camp. There was silence, and then there was chaos. Suddenly, all the banquet guests ran for their horses, but Adonijah trembled by the door to his tent. 
And when he recovered, Adonijah ran to the tabernacle as fast as his feet would take him. He ran past the city guards and the priests making offerings on Mount Zion, straight to the altar where he clung to it in desperation. And there Adonijah pleaded for mercy. And that's where Solomon found him. Adonijah, the proud and ambitious And he wouldn't leave until Solomon guaranteed his safety. And Solomon offered him mercy. He said, if you prove to be a man of honor, I will not harm a hair on your head. But if there is evil in you, you will die. And Adonijah came down from the altar and bowed at Solomon's feet. And then Solomon released him and sent Adonijah back to his home. Now, what can we learn from this story. I think if we take a step back, you will find that King David is stuck between two kingdoms. On one side, there's the kingdom of man, and on the other side is God's eternal kingdom. And first, it's clear that on one side, the kingdom of men, it's unstable. There's all these things happening, and David had seen it time and time again. Disobedience and pride and jealousy, disloyalty and deceit. He's lived long enough to see some things. He's seen every man for himself, every man and his kingdom. David even watched helplessly as Saul self-destructed, and his legacy was left in ruin. David himself made mistakes, and his family fell to pieces. He slept with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. Bathsheba lost their first child. His son Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Absalom killed Amnon and betrayed David. And Absalom was killed and David was devastated. Now instability was knocking at the door again. But now David was old and his days were numbered. Could he, he just throw in the towel? And you see, he had won many victories. It's true. We've seen that as we've studied uh, his life this last couple of weeks. But he also suffered so many losses, didn't he? And finally, in his old age, he, his fight was over. Could there be a time of peace? He had made arrangements where his son Solomon could build a temple for the Lord. And so now maybe he could slip away a little bit into weakness into complacency, into the end of his life. But on the other hand, there's Adonijah. He is proud and ambitious. He felt entitled to the throne. He held his father in contempt for naming Solomon his heir. And Adonijah was angry at his father for all of his scandalous activity. And finally, there's David's royal court. They're unfaithful. How quickly and how easily did they leave David, abandon him to follow Adonijah? See, this was the way of the world and the kingdom of men. Isn't isn't that just like modern life in a lot of ways? You know, we might want to sneer at David's feeble complacency in his old age and Adonijah's dumbfound ambition, but are, are are we always so strong? Are we always so humble? Do you, you know, are you always so faithful? I don't think so. See, the truth is, all of us, we all build our own personal kingdoms. 
We spend all our time trying to build a life for ourselves, don't we? And we try to hold it all together by ourselves, and, but everything is either on the verge of collapse or already in pieces. Think about it. Everything, one way or another, we discover is a little bit broken. Our institutions, our organizations, our democracy, and even our politics, our families, our plans, our best intentions, and our deepest desires. Because we build these kingdoms on unstable ground. They're focused on wealth and gain, reinforced by control and power, ruled by whatever strikes our fancy that day. But no matter what we do, our kingdoms are spinning out of control, and it feels like everything is just about to topple off the table. Have you ever felt this way? You know, for some of us, everything that we built two years ago has been destroyed by the pandemic. All those plans, our personal kingdoms. Now, Nathan and Bathsheba and Solomon must have felt like David's kingdom would fall. They were worried because the king was so weak. His enemies, they were ambitious. Maybe the line of David was in trouble. What if the temple didn't get built? And surely Adonijah would kill all of us. This is what they were worried about. But David knew something, in his weakness even, that they did not. David knew the faithfulness of God. He remembered the promises that God had made him and how God had redeemed him from every adversity. His God was steadfast and trustworthy time and time and time again. And his promises were always as good as done. So when Solomon was anointed king, David summoned him to his bedside. And so let's read together what David said to him together from uh, 1 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to start verse 2. Now, David motioned for Solomon to lean in and listen. And he gave him these final instructions. David said, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And then reading from verse 10 a little bit forward, then David slept with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was Firmly established. So you might be wondering, why are these David's last words to Solomon? The end of his life, he chooses to say this. Again, I, I think that David believed in God's promises. He rested in God's steadfast love 
and faithfulness, even as he was going the way of all creation, which is death and destruction, it was not final. Instead, he would sleep in hopeful expectation, resting in the promise of God like his fathers before him, anticipating the fulfillment of God's words. And above all, David knew this one thing to be true, and that is that the kingdom of God is unshakable. The kingdom of God is unshakable. He had experienced the faithfulness of God his entire life. He didn't always know what God was doing, and he didn't always feel like he was worthy of being a part of what God was doing. But at the end of his life, David rested in the promises of God. And now he wanted Solomon to share in that same hope. And so now David's instructions to Solomon are for all believers for all time. He's saying that God has promised that he will set up his kingdom on earth and he will do what he promises no matter what. That's who he is. He's a promise keeper. But our place in his kingdom is really up to us. What we do with the promise is a choice that every one of us, every believer has to make for themselves in their life. So David says to Solomon, if you walk in God's ways and keep his commands, you will prosper in everything that you do, no matter your situation. If you pay close attention to how you live, you're faithful, you will receive the kingdom. Look, I know today that we're not dealing with kings and armies, but God's promise to David here to give him an everlasting kingdom, was pointing towards the future, to an eternal kingdom that is now available and at the fingertips of every believer in Christ. So in this kingdom, Christ sits on the throne, the one true and worthy king of the line of David. And he was anointed by the Spirit of God like no king before him or since He came to proclaim the good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, restore sight to the blind, and to free the oppressed. Now that's his kingdom, the unshakable kingdom of God. And because of Jesus, the kingdom of God was firmly established forever. This is something only David could dream about. And his kingdom is not limited to brick and mortar. It doesn't have borders or armies. It exists wherever and in whoever Christ reigns as master and king. When he reigns in us. So what does this mean for me and you today? Well, I believe that many of you need something firmly established in your life something that anchors you and gives you meaning and direction no matter what happens. And that something is the unshakable kingdom of God. Maybe you're out here and you just feel like the kingdom of God isn't for you. Maybe you're at home today and somehow you're hearing me and and you believe that the promises of God are not for you. You know, I I had a friend that felt this way for much of his life. You know, years ago... This friend of mine was deeply hurt by someone in a position of authority in his life. Uh, he, had, he had been serving in a ministry position, and he had made some mistakes. And most of the mistakes were pretty relatively minor, but still concerning. And 
When his supervisor found out what had happened, he called my friend into his office. And after a long meeting where the supervisor listed off a long uh, collection of my friend's faults, he left my friend with these words. And he never forgot them, and I'll never forget them to this day. His supervisor said to him, if you do not change, you will be rendered useless for the kingdom of God. He said to my friend, if you don't change, you're going to be rendered useless for the kingdom of God. Then he let my friend go. My, my friend was crushed. And it hurts me to hear this story about what happened to him, even now. And, you know, he left ministry for many years, and he was really struggling in his personal life. And he felt guilty for all the damage that he had done, these mistakes he had made. He felt unworthy to ever do anything for God ever again. And it took many years for him to discover that he wasn't a danger to the kingdom of God and that the promises of God were still good for him. And so maybe today you're in a similar place. Maybe you're feeling weak or complacent like David in his old age. Maybe you're busy building your own life, your own kingdom like Adonijah. Maybe you feel just like my friend. You feel disqualified or unqualified. Like God can never accept you, use you, or work through you for the kingdom. And so, if that's you today, I want you to remember this. David's only qualification as a shepherd boy was his heart. That's where it all began. It was his heart, his internal world, his thoughts, his desires and affections. Throughout his life, David actually made many mistakes. So many mistakes. And if we made the same mistakes, we would probably feel unworthy and society might cancel us without mercy and never forgive us or let us do any, anything again that is worthwhile in their eyes. But God was faithful to fulfill his promises to David according to what? Not David, his steadfast love. And so the kingdom of God was still firmly established in David's life. And so in the same way, God only wants your heart. If you're struggling, God only wants your heart right now. He is steadfast and faithful. He will fulfill his promises. He just wants to firmly establish his kingdom in our lives no matter what. You might be wondering, though, how? How can we firmly establish the kingdom of God in our lives. Well, let's talk about it. Now, because of Jesus, this promise has been fulfilled, and we have been invited, all of us, into the family of God, the kingdom of God, in other words. And so today, the kingdom of God is firmly established in the people of God where they live in step with his will and practice his ways. Say that one more time so we just internalize it. Today, the kingdom of God is firmly established in the people of God when they live in step with the will of God and practice his ways. See, we can do what David had done his entire life, pay attention and walk faithfully. 
See, David instructed Solomon and his sons to pay close attention to their way and walk before God in faithfulness with all their heart and soul. So let's talk shop today before we close. How, more specifically, can we establish God's kingdom in our lives today before we go on about our week? Well, first, let's again, we need to pay attention. Pay attention. Anyone snoozing? Pay attention. We can say many things about David, but what we cannot say is that God did not have his attention. Whether he was talking to God, running back to God, or lamenting, his attention was always redirecting towards the Lord. And what's interesting is that of all the kings of Israel, David is one of the few who does not turn his attention to idolatry or sorcery or what have you and get lost and stuck and never return. Read First and Second Kings. It's, it's true. But you know what? Whether David was praising God in his victories or repenting of his failures, his eyes were always turning back to God. Constantly he was saying, here I am, God. You have my attention. I'm listening. I'm watching. I want to know your will. And, you know, for us today... There are so many ways that we can do this. You can list a few in your mind right now. It's really quite simple. But in a world full of distraction and temptation, it's a hard. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to keep our attention on the Lord? And for today, us today, I think it's by knowing, knowing his word and paying attention to the commands that are found in his word. David says, keep charge of the Lord, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and testimonies as it was written in the law of Moses. How much more do we have at our fingertips today? See, the kingdom of God is firmly established in our lives when we know his will. And if this is you today, struggling with paying attention like I sometimes do, what does it look like? for you to firmly establish God's word in your life today? This is not a trick question. Be practical. What does it look like? Second, what we need to do is walk faithfully. Knowing does not always equal doing. We all know that to be true. Knowing precedes doing, but the doing takes practice. And this is so important because once we're attentive to God's will for our life, we are able to practice his ways. David was faithful towards God even when he stumbled. He responded to sin with what? With repentance. He, when he was faced with the consequences of his mistakes and his sin, he turned and did what? He worshipped God. David always continued to walk in God's ways, even when he was limping. And so when he lacked faith, he depended on the one who was steadfast and faithful. When he was overwhelmed by sin, he asked God to teach him the way of righteousness. And most of all, when many would have tapped out or given up, David continued to walk in God's ways, faithfully. 
See, David knew that he was part of something bigger than himself. And he was part of God's kingdom and what God was doing. It wasn't about him whether he was winning or losing. He wasn't always worried about being worthy or qualified. His God was worthy and qualified. And so the kingdom of God for us today is firmly established in our lives when we walk in his ways. And so maybe this speaks to one of you today, whether you're here in the worship center down in Simpson Hall or at home. And so let me suggest this. Maybe it's time to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, get off the sidelines and get back into the mix of what God is doing in the world, in our city, in our community, in our church. And if that's you today, I want to ask you these three questions before we close. First question, what is that one thing that is holding you back? Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it's just self-doubt. What is that one thing that is holding you back? If you can think of that thing, write it down, remember it. Second question, what is one thing that you need to stop doing today to make this happen? To faithfully walk in God's ways. And we're going to replace the, the stopping with the doing. So question number three. After you got answered to number two, write it down, remember it. Number three, what is another thing that you need to start doing to get back on track, to be an active participant in the kingdom of God. Think of that thing, the first thing that comes to your mind. Don't ignore it. See, my singular hope today is that you would walk away with a newfound confidence to re-engage with a relationship with the living God and to join him in what he's doing in the world in this season. Remember what I said, the kingdom of God is firmly established in the people of God when they live in step with his will and practice his ways. So all of this is possible because of the unrelenting love and faithfulness of God. And for that, he is worthy of our praise and honor. So today, as we close, I want to do something that we haven't done in a while. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up. And I'm going to get you to join me in reading a section of one of David's psalms of praise. And as we read this together slowly, I want you to reflect on the steadfast love of God in your own life. Because nothing captivates our attention, and motivates our faith like reflecting on God's mighty deeds. Isn't that true? So this is Psalm 145, and let's start reading this slowly so it internalizing, internalizes together, starting with verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has done. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. 
and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Praise God. Let me pray for you before we close. Lord, again, we thank you for your steadfast love and promises. You are faithful even when we are not. And so we thank you for your son Jesus and for sending the Holy Spirit to help us to do this, teaching us today to be more attentive to your commands and more faithful to your ways. We thank you that your church, that us, get to be part of your eternal kingdom and your redemptive plan for the world. So continue to use us this season, we pray, Lord God. And everyone said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.